Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So on today's episode, ladies, we have Lauren Wells. We go into all things note investing, and it's such a niche. But what I loved about today's episode is we actually really dissect that niche from everything with why she why she began note investing to the type of strategy she takes. Uh, and, and one of the biggest things I think you'll get out of today's episode is her, what she talks about with due diligence. We all know due diligence is incredibly important in any niche, but this is unique, right? And this is a little bit like, wh- what do you really need to do? Because every state is different. Every you know township is different. And she goes into tons of neat little details so you can set yourself up for success for the strategy. Especially in this market, I think that we are all exploring different ways, different opportunities. And I believe that notes are going to be looked at quite different based on what's what's happening and what the projections look like. And I like really like her approach of being the bank instead of the landlord and how she created a fund and uh, how she's managing everything with uh, her investors right now. Full, full of great, great tips if this is a niche that you are looking to get started. Before we get into Lauren's story, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. I'm proud to offer premium wireless for just $15 a month. And I'm proud that we have thousands of five-star reviews from customers like Dan D in New York who writes, I am satisfied customer. How can this only be 15 bucks? He wrote it in all caps. I needed you to feel it like he feels it. I hope I did that justice, Dan. And I hope that you try Mint too at mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 for three months required. New subscribers only. Renew for 12 months to lock in savings. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with a message for everyone paying big wireless way too much. Please, for the love of everything good in this world, stop. With Mint, you can get premium wireless for just $15 a month. Of course, if you enjoy overpaying, no judgments, but that's weird. Okay, one judgment. Anyway, give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 for three months required. New subscribers only. Renew for 12 months to lock in savings. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show, where our mission is to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. We do that every week, twice a week. Tuesdays and Fridays are episodes released. Thank you for being on our journey with us. We've been doing this for five years, for 300 episodes. And we have another amazing, amazing women on our show today. Lauren Wells, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us and excited to jump into notes and all that good stuff that goes along with the very interesting niche that needs to get talked about more. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me and congrats over 300 episodes. That is, you know, awesome. That's awesome. And uh, we we appreciate when being back on this journey. One thing we like to do when we, we kind of kick things off is we like to share a quick tip, story, something coming up for us, because we always like to say we're we're on this journey with you. And as we learn and grow uh, our investing portfolio, our business, ourselves, we're sharing those things with you too. So Andressa, what's going on? Listen, I've already started laughing about the situation, right? Because for all the parents out there, when I talk about extracurricular activity, Uh seriously though, our intention is very good, right? So they can learn different 
sports, different skills. But at the end of the day, we're freaking managing emotions. <laughs> That's what it is, right? So Lorenzo started uh, taking judo classes, similar to karate, right? Love it. I love it. He was not loving it at the beginning, of course, because they're never done that before. He mastered soccer, he's great at it, but not at judo, right? And sensei, Lorenzo, it's taller compared to the other kids that are in his group. And there is one exercise there. The sensei puts two kids against him. And my child has several, not one, two or three, every time a meltdown. Right. And he says the same thing. Not fair, two against one. And I was like, universe, help me out here. What is? What can I say to him? Because I also think it's not fair. But at the same time, not my job, right? Sensei, it's there. He's doing it over and over again. And he, my, my son is like failing over and over again and having a meltdown. And then I, another day he came and he said the same thing. It was not fair. And then I, I just like spit it out what's coming to my head. I was like, you're not playing a fair game. That's not what you signed up for. And let me tell you something. If Sensei is putting two people against you, it's for you to get the skills that you need. So then when you play against one, it's going to be a piece of cake. At that moment, I look at his eyes. He's like, oh, now I got it. Why you didn't tell me this before? I was like, oh, I also didn't know, right? And then he walked away. And then in my head, I was like, what a hypocrite I am for saying that to him. Because... Many times in my own life, I say the same thing. I say, this is not fair. It, that is not fair. Indeed, many things that happen to me, and I'm sure to both of you, are unfair, right? But that's not what you're signed up for. It doesn't say it's the real thing, that's her show, not the fair show, right? So we're talking about different, different things here. And as I was talking to him, I was like, I should look in the mirror and say the same thing to me. Well, maybe the universe is giving you two people in order for you to gain the skill sets that you need to run your business. So for all the ladies out there that are hypocrite like me, <laughs> let's let's get together. Let's get together. But that that's my story. I like that. For the I like that a lot. And it, it is it is funny though, right? Your, your children are this like amazing reflection. I was giving advice to Zach last night, and and um, and it was just funny, right? Because when you're you're opening your mouth to that to to him, you're like, oh, this is good advice for me too, um, and that's maybe what it's about, right? <laughs> our kids, our teachers, you know. I love it. So, Lauren, without further ado, let's jump in. So, for you, Lauren, what has been the lesson that's taking you the longest to learn? I think it's something I'm still learning. And I think having kids has made that even more of a learning lesson that I'm journey that I'm on patience. You know, right now, for example, in my own investing journey, I want to, I'm like, I want to buy, I want to buy, I want to buy. I'm like, no, you need to be patient right now is not the time. Like, unless you have some opportunity that comes to you off, you know, market or have those relationships right now is not the time to just go you know, and so I think patience in where you're investing, who you're investing with, 
in the relationships you're building and in really looking at your timeline as your own timeline. So I think when I first started out investing and kind of getting more into real estate, it was seeing all these people who are significantly younger than me being like, I'm a millionaire overnight and I invested in these multifamilies or these, you know, I've fixed and flipped all these homes. And like you said, Andresa, like, well, that's not fair. You know, I'm I am more experienced. Like I have probably, you know, so, but like you said, life's not fair. If you're not playing against them, you're on your own journey. So like, what does that look like for you? What's very different if you're a mom of two kids, you have a mortgage and you're just starting out on your investment journey versus someone who might not have any of those responsibilities. So I think kind of pushing your ego aside and having patience and setting realistic goals and just kind of like, I think one of someone had mentioned this the other day to me, like wealth isn't built overnight. You know, it's a journey. We see only the highlight reels of what people post on social media. But really, I mean, I'm sure you guys can attest to this. You know, you didn't wake up one day and say, I'm living off all my passive investments. You know, it's been it's a journey and you have to take the baby steps to get there and then build that snowball. So love it. hundred percent. So during this this episode, we're going to talk about the power of being the bank instead of being the landlord. And I wanted people to hear your story and how you pivot, how you not like pivot to the to the sake of the market, but pivot to align to your goals and to your style where where you want to be. Could you share a little bit more with our guests? Um, so I actually have extensive experience in the being a landlord space. That's what I grew up. My parents were landlords. Mm-hmm. I saw that and there were a lot of benefits to it. You know, there's that passive income, but there's a lot of 3 a.m. calls. My toilet broke. You know, this needs to be fixed. Tenants didn't pay rent, you know, whatever it might be. And so being the oldest, I'm the oldest of three girls. When I graduated college, I was like, I'm not doing anything real estate. I'm going to forge my own path. I'm going to do things differently. Went into like tech startup world, went that route, realized as I had a family, like I want more time. I want more time for my family. I want more time. I want to own my time. And how do I do that through real estate? Um, But I didn't love the idea of, you know, being a landlord and dealing with you know, tons of tenants and issues and having to, if it's not a local property, then having to outsource and build a team, you know, that's just not something that really appealed to me in my phase of life. So I stumbled upon mortgage notes. I have a mentor who, you know, is much older than me and basically had said, hey, I've been looking into mortgage notes. I am too old to start something new. I don't have that energy, but this is a path you should look at. And I think, you know, The first thing is having someone who you can lean on to give you advice, whether that's, you know, someone in the space, someone who's just a mentor outside really helped. And, you know, I had never heard of a mortgage notes. I knew what a mortgage was and a note was because I own my house, but I didn't really know that you could invest in them and become the bank. That was a very new concept to me. But I liked that appeal as I started digging into it of, oh, this is awesome. I can basically assume the position of the bank and just collect checks. You know, I read probably when I go into kind of my research and analysis phase, what I like to do is look at everything that can go wrong. Like, give me a reason not to do this. 
Like, what are the red flags? Talk to as many people in the space as possible. Is it an inventory thing? Is it a barrier to entry as far as like costs? Like, why wouldn't I do this? So about six months or so after like reading every book on the world and, and every book possible about mortgage notes and investing in debt and then talking to probably over 20 different people about the space that had been successful, I decided, okay, I'm going to start building my own portfolio. And I really started, you know, actually because of the barrier to entry investing in a first position lien, I started actually investing in second position mortgage notes. I was like, this is great. It's a lower barrier to entry. And we're talking like I could get a mortgage note for less than $10,000 in first seconds, just for perspective. And, you know, I built out my systems, my processes, you know, scaled my portfolio of seconds, and then eventually added some firsts to about, you know, 30, 40 notes. And what I realized is it was great. I was essentially just collecting that income, but there was a lot more that went into it on the front end as far as like due diligence, vendors. You really had to have your own systems in place and your own vendors in place. So it wasn't essentially mailbox money as I had thought it would be, but it was much a much better avenue for me and my family, you know, because it would just ebb and flow. You know, you'd be really busy and then you'd be like not busy for a few months. And so it really worked out well for my family and I to kind of invest in that different way. Let's say break that down even more. So yeah. walk us walk us through the first note that you bought. So you're you said you were in second position. Was that the yeah. first yeah. note? Okay. And yeah. so are you you're buying this from whom? Yeah. So that's like the big secret. It was like, where do I buy these notes? Who do right. I have to know? Amazon. Right. <laughs> right? Anything. I think, I think Amazon. Can you guys believe it? Oh my gosh, how cool that would be. I should call Jeff Bezos and say, come on, <laughs> I, we have an idea. Here. Get some mortgage notes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, it's a very niche community. And so I think after attending different like webinars and conferences and speaking with people, that was always what I would ask because as you know, you need to have the money and the deals. So where am I going to find the notes? I have X amount of cash to work with. I know what I need to have as a buffer. Where am I going to find these notes? And so I got on a few different lists from different brokers that sold to individual investors. Okay. Tranches of like, they would put out say a tape, which is essentially a list of different mortgage notes and you would bid on them. Now, kind of the hierarchy to give people, you know, an example is you start with a Wells Fargo, for example, they will sell to a, you know, huge, another institution like a BlackRock. They will sell to a fund who will then sell to maybe another fund or maybe you'll get, go straight to the broker, which will go to individual investors. I see. You're probably like three or four steps removed if you're just starting out in note investing. You're getting the hairy notes is what they call it. You know, they're not super clean. If they're performing, meaning they're paying on time, you're probably still going to pay a premium for them. I had a, a quick question about the the performing and not non performing, yeah. right? Let's let's talk about that that piece a little bit. The the one that you bought was performing and not performing and why you made that choice. Yeah, great question. So for people who don't know, performing means it's a borrower or a borrower who's paying on time as expected per the terms of their note. Non-performing means that they have delinquency of 90 days or more. So it could be anywhere from 90 days to a couple of years when you're acquiring this note. I specifically saw more upside 
in investing in non-performing seconds because, you know, and there's a lot of due diligence that goes into that because that is kind of a risky move if you're not in first position. So that really was where I saw most, a bigger payoff. I could have chosen to invest in performing, but the margins were small. And how did you mitigate? You still, even though it's, it's much riskier, as you were saying, yeah. how did you mitigate that risk going yeah. second link position and non-performing? Yeah. So when you get a tape from a broker of assets, essentially it's a glorified Excel spreadsheet with all of the information that has to do with the borrower, the asset, the property, their like payments, how many they've missed, when their last payment was made, any where it is in legal, if it's in the legal process. So you essentially take that tape as kind of word from the broker and you give them what's called an indicative bid. Now, this is like probably where a lot of the heavy lifting comes into mortgage notes is your due diligence. So that indicative bid, think of it like entering into an agreement if you're putting a bid on a house. You know, you know you're going to have your escrow period, but in the initial due diligence, I would look for only second position. I would look for they would have to have equity. So if I looked at the total balance, the first, the second, and what the value of the home was, I wasn't going to go over 70% loan to value. And that was with covering the second. You know, I needed to make sure that if they went to foreclosure, I was going to get paid as the second position. You know, so that was probably the number one thing I looked at before I would give an indicative bid. I also would look at specific states. Like I would not go near New York or California. I liked, you know, Georgia and certain states that where it was easier to work as a borrower in second or as a lender in second position. So it comes down to knowing the value and really the rules of the state you're investing in. Um, and every state is different. So you definitely have to make sure that you have a team of attorneys or vendors, attorneys that you work with to review. But once you give your indicative bid, the seller will come back and say, great, we accept. Then you have like your due diligence period. So your escrow period, that's where you go and say, okay, now I'm going to do my own research and make sure that everything you put on that tape was accurate. I'm going to pull title. I'm going to have the attorney review it and make sure all the allonges and assignments are in order that I actually am in second position, not third or first in some cases. Um, you're going to have someone go by and check out the, the property. Is it in good condition? What is it like? What's your BPO on this property? Um, and then you're going to look at the borrower as well. In second position, it's really important to look at the borrower specifically and any servicing notes from the prior lender. Like what caused you to be behind? Was it that you lost your job? You know, so I'm curious too. The ultimate goal with note investing is you you're you, you know you're buying this non-performing uh, note, right? Obviously, and to your point, you're doing due diligence on the property and trying to get a sense of what's going on during this due diligence part. But like, what's best case scenario? Like, paint the picture of this this strategy. Yeah, I mean, this is a stupid no, question, but no, no. what's like best case scenario? I, I know like when it comes to multifamily or a lot of other niches, okay, what's best case scenario? It probably goes up in value. You're making cash flow. And when you sell, you know, investors are saw for making a 35% return on investment. Okay, thumbs up. So paint that picture if you don't mind yeah. out investing. So then due diligence, what's that, in, what's that end goal? Yeah, so when I evaluate, there's quite a few different exit strategies you can take. 
honestly, the end goal is whatever gets your prop money back like quickest. It's time. So foreclosure, a lot of people think like, oh, I'm going to go into notes. I'm going to take back all these properties and then I'm going to renovate them and rent them because I got them super cheap. That's the probably 90% of investors who go into this think that. I myself, that's how I started out. And what I found is that's actually not the quickest way to make money. The quickest way to make money and turn a profit and reinvest is to get your borrower paying. So you're really looking at that borrower, what happened. And because you're purchasing, and this might be a crucial component I left out, you're purchasing these mortgage notes at anywhere from like 40 to 60 cents on the dollar if they're not performing, especially seconds. So you're getting a huge discount off of the unpaid balance. So if the balance is 100K, you're getting it for 50. That gives you a lot of wiggle room to work with the borrower to get them back on track. Because in my experience, not every borrower that's not paying is a, a person who's going to say, I'm never going to pay. I haven't paid in three years. Like, screw you. Typically, there's some sort of life event that happened. They got out of hand and then it kind of snowballed. They have all these arrears and they really like don't know what to do because a traditional bank would say, you need to reinstate 100%. You know, there's nothing we can do. So, or you have to refinance, which in these today's market doesn't really help anyone. No. So with you essentially become a private lender. And so whether that's, hey, you can make your monthly payments that you used to, great, let's start there and let's add, you know, four quarterly payments a year to get you caught up with your arrears, you know, or let's do a six month forbearance plan and see how it goes paying a little bit more. And if you can double your monthly payment, we'll wipe out the arrears. So, you know, you have more flexibility and then you can season that note, meaning get them to pay for six to 12 months and then sell it as performing. So that, or you can just keep it and they're performing and then it really is mailbox money. So, you know, I think it really depends on how quickly you can move through that process. For example, I, you can probably work something out with the borrower in three to six months. Georgia, which has a quick foreclosure, you know, timeline, six months, three to six months. I had a second there in Georgia, foreclosed. Um, family didn't want the property. So, you know, it was an easy foreclose from second position, which a lot of people don't know you can do. But it took me a year to receive a check, a whole year later. So yeah, the foreclosure process was quick, but because it had to go through the judge to sign off on additional funds to be released and then to write the check, I probably checked in with my attorney every month and it took a full year, almost to the day, to get paid out on that. You know, that I would rather the borrower wanted to stay in the property and work something out and been receiving income that whole time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. I'm proud to offer premium wireless for just $15 a month. And I'm proud that we have thousands of five-star reviews from customers like Dan D in New York who writes, I am satisfied customer. How can this only be 15 bucks? He wrote it in all caps. I needed you to feel it like he feels it. I hope I did that justice, Dan. And I hope that you try Mint too at mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 for three months required. New subscribers only. Renew for 12 months to lock in savings. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make your moves count. Bought a rental? That's a move. Made some serious stock gains? That's a move. Quit your job to go full-time on your side hustle? That's a move. 
Relocated for a fresh start? Okay, that's literally a move. Your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Whether you moved on from a job, made moves in your own business, did some side hustling, or house flipped your way to financial freedom, TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction that you deserve, filing with 100% accuracy, and getting your max refund guaranteed. Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. TurboTax will make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With a message for everyone paying big wireless way too much. Please, for the love of everything good in this world, stop. With Mint, you can get premium wireless for just $15 a month. Of course, if you enjoy overpaying, no judgments, but that's weird. Okay, one judgment. Anyway, give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 for three months required. New subscribers only. Renew for 12 months to lock in savings. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com. That, so, that makes total sense when you look at the full picture, right? Mm-hmm. When you look at the full picture. And I think I, I like this approach. I haven't, I haven't heard this before about you're mixing notes and then you, you you have the flexibility to become a private lender but i also think there's a social impact there you're like you know also yeah. contributing to to especially after covid people are going yeah. through different things you know in the banks you you're a loan number right mm-hmm. and in, in this case here it, it it has this personal approach that you're looking at the individual as a a human being as it should, and not everybody wants to be in default on purpose. People yeah. are going through different things. And he, I, I think this there is a social impact that I don't think people talk too much about. Um, yeah, and because when people talk about social impact, they think, well, but I am in business, it's not a nonprofit. But then what you're saying makes a lot of sense because the goal here is to continue receiving the money so whatever that looks like because during that 12 month period you received zero yeah right and then the average of all of it yeah it's positive if you were receiving at least some something out of it at the end a hundred percent and you know i'm not i think people think you either do good by people or you make money you can't do both and there are cases where we have had to foreclose because, you know, it just really didn't make sense. So the borrower was actually an investor and it was their second property and they were like, we're not paying a dime. And so, yeah, you're kind of forced to go foreclosure, but you can, it can be a win-win for everyone. And I think that that's something that's missed when it comes to investing is like, you don't have to go the foreclosure route. Just like, you know, investing in real estate doesn't have to be specifically like a physical property either, you know, so... Makes sense. I'm curious though too, because your your original comment was about, you know, not not wanting to be that landlord, right? Yeah. You wanting to be be the bank. So it sounds like you're the bank and you're doing you're doing some negotiation, right? Direct to to do that homeowner. So, you know, I'm just curious because you have to do that with tenants. So I'm just wa- walk me through how yeah. it's a little different in a sense, you know, because you're still yeah. you're not dealing with toilets, but you're yeah. still dealing with and, and managing uh, yeah. the negotiation process. So what about that makes it a little different? Because sometimes you're negotiating with tenants, quite honestly, to pay their rent. So I don't know, just curious to get your insight into that, how that how that feels different from uh, yeah. the traditional route. Yeah. So, well, there's quite a few things like we you actually are going through what's called a servicer. 
So you're not directly talking to the borrower. You okay? I have in instances, but typically you essentially have a licensed servicer. They're the ones actually collecting the payments. Okay. And you as the lender, um, and you know they're licensed to collect debt in whatever state that your you know loan is in. They will do like the outreach to the borrower, and you will be like more of the strategic. Like let's offer them this. They'll collect the paperwork. They'll collect the financials. They'll write it up. You have your attorney draft paperwork. But you're not, you know, back and forth emailing with the borrower. You're more the strategic decision maker behind what what we can make work. Makes sense. And you kind of have those options. Uh, in all the notes that you personally invested in, how many how many people were you able to like work things out and and start getting paid, keep them in their home and and get paid uh, before that year or having to foreclose? What what percent? Just out of curiosity, I'd say like seventy percent. That's pretty high. Yeah, yeah, and. The other, what, 30 were either deceased borrowers, people who basically were like, there's no way I'm paying you a dime, or it had been, you know, inherent, or it was vacant. So, like, those are typically the three most common. And, and curious, too, right now in this economy, right? So, people yeah. are, you know, there's still a high demand for a lot of homes, right? Foreclosure, I've heard, is low, as at all-time yeah. low in terms of that perspective. So, how does that impact, you know, the note investing world? Yeah. Just less deals, le less opportunity, less inventory, or actually, no, we're more inventory. First. Yeah. So foreclosures are at an all time low, but delinquencies are actually up. And in Q4 of last year, we really started seeing more and more inventory come across our desk. And that I feel like we're kind of a little bit what happens in the market kind of trail, we trail that. So when we see more inventory, that's great because that means our acquisition price is going to be lower. Oh. And that's really where you're going to make the money is like, how, what is the deal I can get on the note? And are they sure. good? So, yeah, I mean, everyone talks about, you know, jobs and values of homes. The values of homes, we do track. Obviously, that's still a number one indicator of how much equity you have. But when you're buying at a discount, you know, you are less concerned about that. Um, additionally, jobs, that is huge. We do track jobs because that affects the borrower's ability to repay and inflation indirectly because, again, they're spending more. Do they have enough money to pay their mortgage? Um, but really, I mean, I'm sure what your guys are seeing is what we're seeing. It's pretty siloed to the tech industry right now. And those typically are the notes we're going after. I think there's a whole other opportunity there and a different type of real estate um, investment mindset but yeah, we're not seeing too much as far as rattling our industry. So in, ter in terms of projections, if you can pull your crystal ball inside, <laughs> Lauren, pull it out. Uh, <laughs> so if you're seeing a high delinquency, is there a projection for that to affect a higher uh, foreclosure rate too? Or Yeah, I mean, so COVID really kind of shut down foreclosures because of all the more like moratoriums and whatnot like you couldn't move through the foreclosure process right. quick enough for it to make sense i do think that we will start seeing more in the next 18 months i think these job layoffs for example people who moved from you know let's say moved to the island santa barbara we had a mass influx of people from new york san francisco moved to santa barbara because they're like i can work remote I'm with Google. I'm with Facebook. I make a great salary. I can purchase whatever home I want. 
Well, now they're getting laid off. They have these mortgages at 3% on these huge homes. You know, I do think that we're going to see, I don't know, I think we'll see a lot of foreclosures or maybe again in 18-ish months. I think we're going to start seeing more and more delinquencies. I think we're going to see, you know, people who are getting creative and doing subject twos because they want to get in um, to the percent. I think that- have to, right? Yeah. So a huge opportunity there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's where my mindset goes (laughs) for these next 18 months. Well, it's all opportunity, right? And I think that's the beautiful thing about our world of real estate investing, regardless of what niche you're in. You know, if you see layoffs, yes, that's not in and of itself. You don't want to see people laid off, honestly. That in and of itself as a human being, right? You, You feel for those people. As a real estate investor, you do know that's going to impact motivated, if the in motivated sellers go up, and that's when we know we can really create a win-win for people yeah. in any niche. And I and yeah. I, I think people forget that. They see, you know, recession, interest rates, and they get it's very cloudy. But I, I see yeah. opportunity, right? I mean, we're we're looking at properties in, in Florida, and these are, you know, these are 10, 11, 12 room properties, you know, million dollar plus properties. And in some ways you could say, wow, that that's pretty risky in this market. Um, and on the other hand, you could say it's actually not because this could be someone's second home who just got laid off. They can't make the second mortgage yeah. and we can get it for, uh, you know, 80% of what it's yeah. really, what it's really worth. Right. Yeah. So we all have to be smart in this market by no means to, you know, go blindly. But I love what you're saying because it, whether it's note investing or multifamily or short-term rentals, yeah, you have to watch what's happening and say, how can I contri- contribute? Yeah. How can I obviously create a win-win for these people, not take advantage, but it's a win-win. So I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. And I think really like, and I'm sure you guys, you know, talk about this a bit, but I think when I first got into real estate investing, I thought you have to own a single family home. You have to collect rent. That's the only way to be a real estate investor. And as I've been on this journey for a few years now, I'm like, wow, you can be a private lender and make monthly income. You can like subject to is its whole own world that it actually wouldn't and look, you think it's going to be very interesting in the coming, you know, years. But there's just so many different ways to get involved. You can be active, you can be passive. And I think, you know, when you limit yourself and think, I have to purchase a property to be invested in real estate, it really is kind of disheartening for a lot of people. I think that's where I was when I started. I was like, well, we own our home, but I don't have enough money to buy a whole other property, you know, or maybe I do, but I'm scared because it's out of state. So like, what are some other options? And I think really what you guys do is great kind of educating people on just that literacy behind investing and kind of growing wealth in all sorts of ways. And I, and I know it depends, but what would you say if someone's listening saying, you know what, I want to give a go to being, you know, to, to note investing. I'm going to start to do some research. And I also want to make a quick segue. I love what you said earlier. You said, I read every book, I listen to every podcast, but then you did a third thing that most people don't do. Yeah. You said you talked to like 30 or 40 people in the business. Now, I know that's hard for a lot of a lot of introverts listening to like, yeah. oh, I want to like, I can make three. <laughs> but I think talking to people, it doesn't have to be 30, right? I'm, I I would love yeah. maybe I talk to 30 and Justin may have probably talked to three. Regardless of how many, that is really honestly the most important part of the three pieces. I just want to, I meant to say it earlier. I just want to make that a very quick, like yeah. do that, ladies. Don't yeah. forget about, we can all Google things, but if you're not talking to people who are in the business or in the market, you're missing something. Yeah. You're missing that real world experience. But I, di- I digress. My my question was about, 
in terms of financially, how much money, and I know it depends. People always ask us, how much money yeah. do you need to invest? And I hate that question, but I'm on podcasts. Yeah. I'm curious from a, from a note investing, just like a, a ballpark, what would be helpful in terms of how much money do, do women need or men listening to, we know like our podcast, how much do they need in general or just get started? I mean, on the low end, I'd say 30, but I'd say 50 just in general. Again, that's, you always want to be able to have those vendors you're paying. You have to think about if you have to go legal, there's legal fees. Yes, they're added to what you can collect if you do foreclose, but still money you have to have up front. So I would say like 30 and you'd probably be looking at a second. Um, and what's again, the upside? What's like the upside? Like, uh, you know, we always say that what are the general returns of I multifamily, what's the general return of, of, of notes? So for a performing, I'd say like you aim for 12 to 15. Um, for a non-performing, you know, definitely over 15. Sure. I would just say like a, just like a dilapidated property, you're taking yeah. more risk on. You want to, yeah. yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. So, the bottom line is the fundamentals are very similar to to two different niches. Knowing your market, knowing yeah. knowing the strategy. Well, curious about like the. Of course, we are all investors uh, and learning a lot throughout. Even though you read books, podcasts, talk, yeah, so there were things that happened to you that were not anywhere right yeah. and I, I i always say this every single it doesn't matter how many rehab projects or constructions i've done before there's always something that i was like this yeah. first yep from from the time that i saw a horse hair on the walls and i was like i thought it was a dead body in south philly but it was not it was a hit horse hair but i digress let's talk about you what have you learned that were not on the books podcast and any other conversation they were like i wish I didn't have before, but now I do. Yeah, I don't think it was one thing. I think something that I and Liz, you touched on this earlier, really talking to people. So I was at I was it was during COVID, maybe someone was presenting online. My current business partner was presenting at one of the like online conferences about notes. And the topic was like all the ways you're going to lose money in notes. And I had just started diving in and things were going pretty well. And I was like, oh, this guy's awesome. He's going to tell me everything like I need to look out for. And, you know, he's an engineer by trade. So he thinks very differently from me, um, you know. Um, so I actually reached out to him on LinkedIn. I emailed him, was introduced finally by a mutual connection. And I, you know, set weekly copy meetings with him every Friday. And really, it was not, I feel like I didn't really have anything I was shocked by because we would cover, there's just a lot of minutia that goes into this industry because every state is different. Every rule and county can operate differently. So I think really it's, if you're going to invest in notes, know that if you're investing in Florida, it's going to be very different than investing in Alabama. You know, there's redemption periods. I was like, wait, I took back the property. You're telling me they have a year to like redeem? After that, after all of that, so learned that one in Alabama. They didn't redeem, but like, you know, I didn't know that that- There's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I think really kind of, again, attaching yourself to someone who, you know, you can learn from and ask those questions about the minutia of whatever asset class or industry you're in proved to be super valuable. Um, and 
I think like you said, not everyone is extroverted like me and loves talking to people. So yeah. I love that. And now you've segued into creating a, a fund that actually buys notes. So I'm curious, because that's a common path that some women want to take, right? They're buying the multifamilies or they're buying the asset, if you will, actively. And now they set something up so other people couldn't buy it with them or something larger. So I'm curious, just from a strategic perspective and setting women up for success as they, if they, if, if, and they want to scale, if it meets their goals and needs, because we always say it's not about doors or numbers, but if it serves them and it serves their path, this yeah. is this is something that a lot of the experienced women in our community want to know about, right? They want to know about how to make that transition. So I'm curious, what what were some of those steps? And I'm curious, how are, what were those steps to make that transition to uh, to to get to get into something bigger and be able to buy more? Um, and I'm sure with others. Secondly, I'm curious to get into the um, has your strategy for buying notes different now? Are you open to bigger lists, bigger brokers? I mean. Or is that just like, it's the same when you were doing it by yourself? But I'm just curious to understand those two two yeah. uh, points. So, you know, that business partner that I have now, I actually started working, managing all the assets for him, his, uh, his funds. And it was great learning experience dealing with investors, dealing with, you know, managing over 200 assets. What does that look like? And then what we realized and the, like kind of the reason for the fund was there was a lot of, and this is like... <laughs> I think there's two parts to it. First, I think you need to find someone who's your polar opposite to work with. You know, in a fund, when it comes to a fund, you need someone who wants to be the front of house, the face, the investor relations, the let's form those relationships with brokers and investors. And then you need someone who is the analytical number cruncher, Excel spreadsheet. That's what they love. They could spend all day there. We are perfectly matched in that way. Um, I think having two people like that really sets itself up for success when it comes to a fund. I couldn't personally imagine running this on my own, <laughs> especially as a mom of two. I don't think it's, it would be possible. Um, but the reason that we decided to partner together to go the fund route was we realized he was working with a lot of non-accredited investors. So a lot of people who wanted to get in had 50, had 100K, and so we would do joint ventures with them. Or we would sell them like a partial of a note where essentially you're investing and getting that principal and interest returned monthly. Well, that was great, but it was a lot of work. It was a lot of individual investors, a lot of K-1s. Um, and really, we just realized there was such a market for people who wanted to get in but weren't accredited. And that accreditation for funds is a big barrier to entry. So that's really why we went the fund route and we went not only a fund route, we just went the regulation A plus route. So that's, you know, for people who don't know what that is, it's basically like crowdfunding in real estate. It's open to accredited, non-accredited, anyone. Um, and as far as like how we acquire notes, well, you have more money so you can typically tape take down larger tapes. So I don't think necessarily our acquisition and like due diligence processes or anything like that, they've become more refined when you're looking at, you know, a hundred plus assets to purchase. You know, you're definitely have to have your processes much more, you know, kind of like a well-oiled machine. And this is what happens. This is a process they go through. You know, what does that onboarding process look like? How quickly can we work something out with the borrower? All those things really matter when you're held accountable by your investors and, you know, 
you have more, so you do have more money, but you have to have your processes really kind of locked in to do that. I thought that's great. Great, great nuggets there. Uh, Lauren, this has been helpful and great. I've taken tons of notes. I'm like, oh, I do some note investing. I always get excited when I talk to people in different niches. But where can the ladies listening learn more about you and uh, follow you along your journey? Yeah. So you honestly, I you touched on something earlier, Liz. Not everyone wants to talk to people or reach out. You know, they might not be extroverted. But I found this real estate market niche of women and investors in general are super open to talking to people. You know, so I always say you can email me directly at lauren at 7einvestments.com. You can also find me at on Instagram at 7einvestments. And our website is 7einvestments. But yeah, if I am, again, not, I'm very extroverted. But I also really love more the one-on-one conversations. So I always, you know, again, throw it out there to anyone who wants to connect personally about my journey, about notes, about, you know, other asset classes or just getting started or being a mom and trying to get started. All of that. I love it. So again, Lauren at 7einvestments.com. Awesome. All this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. The first one, Lauren, is what's the most transformational book you ever read? Oh, I think I have two. I love the book Relentless by Tim Grover. It is amazing and it's really a mindset book. Um, and then Blue Ocean Strategy. Really, you know, I think something that's huge is look at what people aren't doing and go there. Like, don't do what everyone else is doing, whether you're raising money, starting out investing, you know, whatever it is, you know, be different. Second question, what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life, whatever balance means to you? Wake up before my kids get up. (laughs) Number one, I think people think it's crazy, but I'm like, that's my time. I don't care if it's 4 a.m. Wake up, drink my coffee, go for, do an extra, like some sort of, exercise, whether it's a run or a walk, that movement before they get up. And then really financially, like having a business meeting with my husband about our budget and our finances monthly to make sure, you know, I think budgeting kind of gets a bad rap because people think like, oh, you can't spend any money. The beauty of a budget is you get to create it. And so, but I think just having that monthly check-in of like, okay, are we on the same page? Are we, you know, hitting our goals? You know, do we need to adjust in some areas? So I think those two things really like set good foundations for all the other aspects of our life that we want now and five years from now. Awesome. Last question. Which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Oh, this is one of those questions that I feel like I should be prepared to answer, but I am definitely not. I don't have a particular famous person that stands out to me. I think for me, it's just when I see other women in leadership positions in real estate, whether they're in a fund or whether they're, you know, building their own business, I, and especially moms, you know, again, I think seeing other women who have made it happen for themselves, who have taken that initiative, you know, it encourages me. It encourages me, encouraged me when I got started. And I think that there is something to be said about, you know, it's pretty, still is a male dominated industry. So for me, when I'm at events and conferences, I love when I see other women on panels and not the panels that are, you know, 
only women's panels talking about women's things, but on panels that are talking about industry trends and market, you know, I'm like those people, I want to be them. I want to be moderating that panel. That's, you know, that to me is awesome. Love it. Lauren, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom and good luck with everything you got going on. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.